Is there something that you would rather be doing? Is there somewhere you would rather be living? I'm Kat Caldwell-Myers, and if this is you, I totally get you. I have lived a lot of my life in those states, and I've done a lot of work around understanding what drives us in the adventure paradox, why we don't do the thing we're really called to do, and what happens when we do or discover that thing is right here, right now. Let's go. All right. It's Kat Caldwell-Myers here with the Adventure Paradox Podcast. And I am so excited to have one of my favorite guests with me here today, Mitzi Campbell from the Blessings Podcast. How are you this morning, Mitzi? I am well, thank you. So nice to be here, Kat. Thank you. Love having you on the show. I love your show, by the way. Can we just start there with the title, Blessings? How did that come to you? It's such a beautiful title. (laughs) Well, it's interesting because that's exactly how it came. It just came to me. (laughs) When I started the podcast, knowing that it was going to be about people's lives, people's stories, connections, and dealing with lessons that we've learned in life and and then somehow I was asking for a name. I actually put it out there to the universe, like help me come up with something. And it came to me one night. A lot of kind of downloads will come to me at night in that way when I'm really relaxed. And I just kind of ask for answers to things that I'm curious about or things that I need help with. And it tends to be a great time to get good answers. Mm. So that's how I got the name of lessons. It just kind of came to me. I love that. And I also just love that tagline. It just came to me. (laughs) There are certain things where we really work on them and struggle and which way is it going to go and how do we put it together? And then there are other things in life that really, they just come to us. That magic. Mm -hmm. I want to unpack the word blessings a little bit more Mm -hmm. though. And specifically the word bless or blessing. I was a little bit slow to come around to religion and blessings and all of that would always say, bless you if you sneeze. But how do you think about a blessing? I think of blessings as things for which we are grateful. And so that is how I frame the two prongs of blessings, the lessons and the blessings. So the lessons are the things that we've learned, obviously, the points of learning, the points of information in our lives. And the blessings are the things that we're grateful for. So it's not really a religious thing for me at all. It's more all-encompassing kind of spiritual thing, I guess. Totally. Totally. (laughs) Well, and it's interesting because blessings similar to say prayer or meditation or any of those, we can have religious ideas about the definition, but then they pass over those definitions. And Mm -hmm. I remember looking up blessing and the definition was basically something that might seem bad, but then becomes good, like becomes. Okay. And I was thinking how that plays into paradoxes where you think it's going to be one thing, but then it turns out to be another thing. And you've had so many beautiful transitions in your life. And I'd love to unpack just to begin and open up for our audience who you are, your transition from academia to becoming an entrepreneur. Will you just share some of the blessings that came through that and maybe the paradoxes of that moment? 
Sure. Yes. My entire professional life, I've been a teacher or and a college professor, transitioned from elementary school into higher education over the course of time. And I think that as happens with a lot of us, as we evolve, we want more. We want to change and grow in our careers and in our personal lives. And I definitely gotten to a point in higher education when I was not feeling aligned with being in that traditional role in the classroom as much, especially during COVID. This is really where the revelation kind of happened, is that I was feeling the weight of all of the problems that we were all experiencing at that time. And I just felt I needed to be able to help in a wider school than just the four walls of that classroom that I was in at any given moment. So I knew that I wanted to be able to reach more people and help more people and serve more people. And so I actually was kind of hit over the head in making the transition. It was something that had been in the back of my mind. And it wasn't until something happened in my life that kind of forced me into the transition. And I think that's the case for a lot of people that will be thinking about something and then suddenly something will happen that will make you change directions. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it was a health issue. I woke up one morning with vertigo in the summer of 2022. And so that semester, I was unable to teach. I was unable to use my computer or any of my electronic devices without getting thrown into a literal tailspin. (laughs) It was a neurological thing. And I'm still kind of dealing with it, although I've healed from the inability to use my devices. But at that time, I couldn't go back to school that semester. So I am never one to just sit around and do nothing. I knew that I needed to continue to grow in my own way, that whatever way I could access. And I came upon a course to learn how to do a podcast. And I thought, all right, well, if I can't watch or participate online in that way, at least I can listen to the course. Mm -hmm. So I signed up for the course and I started out by listening and then Eventually, I was able to regain the ability to use video and things on my computer. And I said, all right, this is my sign. It's time for me to start the podcast. And then from there, building onto the podcast as a platform for other things that could fulfill my mission of wanting to help more people and reach more people and transitioning all my knowledge from academia into personal development. So that's what I've been working on for the past um, year and developing programs and working with people and establishing different things, different ways of helping and working with folks. You're incredible, Mitzi, by the way. Um, My word of the year is miracle, by the way. And I just feel like blessings, blessings, miracle, but also the story you just told of the miracle that you are, and also that that story is. The work that you're doing online is phenomenal. And I want to just, because not everybody's going to see it, but hopefully after hearing this, they're going to go check it out. I want to highlight these photographs that you take of yourself and what Uh you talk about with, hey, really calling out what's going on in the social media space with projection. Will you take us into the backstory of what you're thinking with this content you're creating, where that's coming from, because I do feel it's such a blessing, like in and of (laughs) itself, those posts. 
Thank you. I think what I am hoping to give with my content is a place where people can kind of connect to themselves, to their true self, their inner self, and get to a place of recognition that every single thing that's ever happened in your life, every experience, everything about who you have been in the past is all information that you can use to grow and evolve in the present moment and into the future. And helping people to see that things like you're never too old to start something new, like me starting a podcast. I was 56, 57 when I started and just turned 58. And I'm loving starting something new at this age. So just connecting and tapping into the self, seeing that you have all the information you need in order to really level up in your life or to grow and really tapping into your backstory and like not being afraid of it, not being afraid of who you are, owning yourself, owning your life, all kinds of things in that arena is really what I'm kind of working to highlight. And then at the same time, it's kind of funny because I'm taking my expertise as a teacher to sometimes teach other things that I find are useful for me as an entrepreneur. For example, I've done a course on how to create a course, (laughs) which Mm -hmm. is just a different leg. And I'm doing one coming up that's, it's going to be free, how to create an ebook. So just like little things like that, because I'm a teacher, I'm always wanting to teach all kinds of things. It's actually a little bit hard to rein it in. When you, like, what else can I teach? Oh, so, I love but, that. And when you were talking about being in academia and then really being called to do something more and also having the vertigo, which really yeah. sent you out the door through a healthcare. And you're absolutely right. This is true for a lot of people, burnout in some sort of manifestation. But also, once we've had that experience, anyone listening to this who's experiencing vertigo can hear there's hope, who's experiencing something about not being able to look at screens, that there's something on the other side. There is. But I was just thinking about the school of life and how (laughs) academia is so incredible. And I remember when I was working on my master's and doing the different things, also getting to a place of realizing But it's really, regardless of the research you're doing that you say you're going to use on the other side, all of academia is kind of inside this school, this box, this tuition structure, and how freeing it is to just say, wow, you know what? The world is my stage. The world is my oyster. To thine own self be true. Like to really follow those gifts that just come to you as opposed to this is the course you're going to teach. But look at the gifts of, I mean, teaching a course on how to build a course from <laughs> a professor is so beautiful. Aww, thank so you. I don't know if there's anything else there you want to unpack for anyone who might be struggling with leaving academia or just feeling like it all has to be done a certain way, needing to hear that message of what else might be possible in the school of life. Oh, yeah. Well, I think the whole teacherpreneur movement is pretty strong. There are a lot of teachers who are looking to expand their reach and yet like the safety of being under the auspices of an institution. And so I think it's interesting, but I love the idea of just going out of the box, like you said, because there isn't, I'm the poster child for, I've always believed this, even before I started this journey, is that you do not have to quote, pay your dues to get Mm -hmm. to a certain level. 
necessarily. I mean, yes, there are things you need to establish. Maybe there are certain steps you need to take, but you don't have to torture yourself like that. Like that implies that you have to go through some kind of real hardship to get to a certain level. And that's just not true. You can be and do what you want at whatever stage you are, and you can get there quickly if you want it. So you don't always have to jump through the proverbial hoops. You can make your own way. You can establish your own path. It's a very free and open world, especially now, because we have Mm. so many tools that we didn't have before with all of these great technological advances. I sound like an old person now, but like, it's just incredible. If you were somebody who is like in your 40s or 50s and you do remember when it wasn't so easy and you realize now how easy it is, like there's just so much available to us and you just have to be available for it. Just Mm. be open be available for what's out there. Yeah. So that's what I would say to people who are looking to make a change. And the idea of waiting for something to hit you over the head, I didn't think I was waiting for something to hit me over the head. I just wasn't taking action to make a change yet. And I think what ends up happening, I did wake up suddenly with vertigo, but as I look back, it wasn't something that happened all of a sudden because it was a perfect storm of things that all came together. And then it just, manifested itself as that vertigo. But there were a lot of things that contributed to that moment that I had that wake-up call. And I think that's what happens with people, that a lot of things will pile up until suddenly it manifests itself in one thing that gets your attention. Mm. And then you decide, all right, oh, what is this trying to tell me? And that's another thing, kind of going back to the question you asked me. I think that if we can learn to see the things that happen in our lives as lessons and extract whatever it is that we think that a situation is trying to teach us, it helps us to take responsibility for the things that come into our lives instead of feeling like victims. Hey, Kat, here for a quick commercial break. If you haven't heard my book, The Adventure Paradox is available on Amazon, and it's been getting some really amazing reviews. It's actually been a little bit overwhelming uh, and maybe too much to say in the middle of this interview, so we'll get back to it, but I did want to let you know it is available. It was a bestseller in six categories, and if you really enjoy this podcast, I think you will really enjoy this book, so please go check it out. Beautiful, Mitzi. It's a lot. lot. That was a lot. You said a word I've never heard before, which is teacherpreneur. Oh, (laughs) that is such a great word. And you're right. There are a lot of you. There are a lot of us. I was a teacher too. Mm -hmm. And also just calling out the safety of an institution, because whether it's working in academia or it's working in corporate Or I know a lot of doctors who are struggling with the medical institution saying, I got into this to help people. And my God, there's a lot of red tape. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because you're stuck. You're under that system and you have to follow certain rules. So if you break out on your own, you don't have to follow those rules. And I love that. That's exactly what I'm all about. And the other way that you're making me think, I've thought about this a lot because of the work that I do with coaching and helping people to look at their life stories and their backstory and connect dots and resolve trauma and things like this. But that's similar to what you think a therapist would do. Now, I also happen to have a master's in psychology, but 
I'm not a licensed therapist. However, I think that when you're working with a coach who might be like an informed trauma coach, you can get to places where you don't have the constraints of working with someone who might have to follow certain rules because of their licensure or be worried about following certain guidelines. There might be things that your therapist might not be able to say or do for you that a coach can Yeah, if you really want to get courageous. So it reminded me of that. Like when you take a non-traditional route, you have a freedom. And mm. I know that organizations have rules in place for reasons and there are regulations, there are safety regulations and whatnot that have to be followed. And I think that's absolutely necessary. But at the same time, those regulations can be very constraining and they can inhibit the very thing that they are trying to accomplish. So so true. I mean, speaking of paradoxes, right? <laughs> yes, that's a paradox. <laughs> yes. There so are... don't be afraid of taking the non-traditional route or, or seeking help from someone who has taken the non-traditional route. Yeah. Okay. Two things I really want to touch on here because I think they're so important. And you talked about a coach and also talked about the freedom and that things didn't exactly happen overnight. It wasn't like, this is it, right? It was, you're sort of thinking about it, different things, and then you got the vertigo and et cetera. So what I'm thinking about is like, talking to a coach, it can be so hard to ask for help. It can be so easy to get in the victim mentality where one side of our brain is saying, you have to stay here. You have benefits. It's a good job. You're at the top. How could you leave? You worked so hard to get here. And the other part of you is going, I think there must be something else. I feel like I'm not really helping people. I feel like I could do more. There's something in my soul saying that this isn't right for me for whatever reason. And it takes a while. I have an uncle who calls this Ike, the bad guy who tells him all the bad oh, things. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I don't know if he's named the other side, but it's the two wolves in every man's heart. And which one do you feed? The good wolf or the bad wolf? Because whichever one we feed, those are going to be the ideas that run us. And earlier this week, I interviewed the beliefologist, Janine Durso. And we talked about beliefs. It can be very hard to see them until you lay them out on paper or talk to someone about them, which is why podcasting is so powerful mm -hmm. because you're actually able to get real and have a conversation with somebody and get out of the box and let the connection between two souls flow. And also it's an art that a lot of people have forgotten how to talk for an hour. But I'd love to hear you talk about maybe your first experience of having a coach, how you recognize Nice. Perhaps you needed help. And the other paradox of this is it's one thing to realize, wait a second, I need help. It's another thing to receive it. Yes. Oh, boy. My first experience with a coach was actually in business as a business coach. And because I knew that I needed help because I was new to entrepreneurship. And it is very hard to make that transition. I would imagine it's very common for people in academia to want to transfer into an entrepreneurial role. I knew I needed help. And so I ended up hiring someone and I spent a lot of money. And that is another thing too, is that you shouldn't be afraid to make an investment in yourself because it can be a stretch. But if you're not going to invest your time and your money into improving, you're not going to get anything out of it. And you can go through the process yourself. You can find lots of resources that are free and that's wonderful. But I just found for me, it wasn't, giving me the kick in the butt that I needed. Like you have to put some skin in the game. 
Otherwise, you're going to be looking at videos for the rest of your life. You could never take action because there's no risk. So you almost have to put in that little bit of risk, like force yourself to put in a little bit of risk in there so that you can get over a hurdle so that you can do it. So yeah, so I hired a business coach to help me with a lot of the mindset around entrepreneurship and some of the practical things, like how do you start putting your offers out to people in that way? You don't have an institution behind you to put it out in their catalog that you're going to be teaching this course. You have to do that. (laughs) And how do you do that? So I needed a little help with those sorts of things. And it was very useful. It was a different approach than I'd ever taken before. But if you think about it, I was teaching a class and people would pay thousands of dollars to the institution, not to me, (laughs) unfortunately, to take the class. And you have to remember your value in that way. And then what kind of value then you can in turn offer to other people? And why shouldn't everyone have access to that level of education? Like, I know you're extremely well-educated and what you have to offer as a person who has acquired all these degrees and worked as a professional, a teaching professional, like there's so much value in that because there are a lot of people out there who are doing the same sorts of things that don't have the same credentials. And I don't think you will necessarily have to have those credentials. I'm not implying that, but when you find somebody who actually has that and can give you this amazing value, something that you need, can help you heal, can help you grow, can help you level up, can help you with your success, your money mindset, whatever it is you're looking for. And that's in combination with like somebody who came out of the academic world. Like that's a bonus, (laughs) I think. (laughs) Missy, what's coming up for me is that quote, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. Oh, yes. And I think so often we're in the space of like, I got it. I got it. I can. I can. I do it myself. This is me anyway. You know what I mean? I'm like, yeah, "Yeah, there's free courses. If I want to do that, I'll just go. Versus there is something incredible that happens when we go before someone and say, wow, the fact that you're able to do this is proof that it's possible. The fact that you have done it and now you're turning around and making an offer to help the next guy learn how to do it. And the fact that I'm coming upon this and feeling inspired by it and called to work with you and also sweating because maybe it's a triple, quadruple, maybe there are five digits or six digits in the investment. And I also think specifically for women, it can be very hard for us to spend that kind of money on our personal development, on our dreams, on our vision. Did you find you had a certain bar over which you felt like, if I spend $10,000 on myself, man, I'm really gonna, you know, I've had an experience where I literally made myself sick. I worked so hard to come around to that and then recognized, wait a second, I'm missing the boat here. Like, yes, I want to work hard for this, but not so hard. It's that go hard mentality connected to the more money, the more value, the harder I have to work for it. Have you come across that with women or in yourself? Yes, definitely. The first time I spent a lot of money on a course was the course to learn how to take a podcast. It was expensive. And that was a lot for me. But I just had a strong feeling that I had to do it. If I wanted to learn how to do a podcast on my own, could I have learned it? Yes. Could I have learned it well? Not as well. Definitely not. And the bigger thing that I got out of being in that course was the relationships and connections that I made. 
You just cannot get that on your own. And that is a huge part of being an entrepreneur. Huge. It's actually a very major piece, the connections. I wouldn't be getting the guests that I have had on my show if I didn't pay my business coach to be in his world because he is the person who brought me a lot of those connections. And I have some very big people coming up in 2024 on my podcast that I never would have been associated with. Never on my own. And, you know, maybe I could have gotten some of those people to come on eventually, but it would have taken a lot longer and I would have had slower movement. So yes, it was hard to get over the hump. But once I paid for that initial course, I got over the mindset. That's a scarcity mindset to not want to pay that money. And am I suggesting you should put yourself into debt? Not necessarily, but I did. I put it on a credit card and Mm -hmm. I paid it off. And sometimes that's what you have to do. You can't think of that as bad. That's actually giving you access to getting something now instead of having to wait another year or two years to do something. And you have to continue to cultivate your mindset. And that feeling of not wanting to pay for something is coming from a place of scarcity. And it's something in your past that you probably messaging and programming from your past that you haven't dealt with. And you have to say to yourself, how am I going to be successful as an entrepreneur? If I'm afraid to spend money, how am I going to ask other people to spend money with me if I'm afraid to spend money? Like you, it's a flow of energy and it's mindset. It's a whole bunch of different things to unpack there. But yes, I was definitely afraid at first to spend that money. And I recognized that I needed to. I knew it was a calling and I did it. And it has made all the difference. Yeah, absolutely no regrets. I mean, I'm thinking about the ROI on one's potential when we actually invest in ourselves and invest in believing that we could go somewhere because someone else is saying, hey, you put this money down, I will take you there. I will get you to the mountaintop. I'm thinking, and I want to unpack some stories from the past a little bit as we turn on the hour here, because I know you've got some very unique things in your upbringing that I want to touch on. I also believe a lot of our money stories come from upbringing. Before we go there, though, I do want to just touch on having incredible guests. And I think of Kathy Heller and when she had Matthew McConaughey on there and she was just freaking out. She's like, oh my God, you're so hot. Oh my God, you're so hot. Oh my God. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Now we can do this. But I have definitely had guests in the past year where I realized like, this is one of the highlights of my career, this moment. And also having guests where in the conversation, I realized it was the highlight and I didn't even know that it was happening. It was someone close to me because we got into this really elevated conversation that wasn't just for us. It was for us, but it was for everyone. It was what the world needed to hear. If there was a guest in the past, someone who's no longer alive, who you could call on to the Blessings show from history, who would be maybe your top one, two, three? Oh, all right. Well, I, I have to go really high level here. I would love to have Abraham Lincoln on <laughs> someone like that. There are some people I admire, like Abraham Lincoln, Albert Einstein. I would love to pick his brain because he was a really interesting guy. There's a lot about him people don't know. It's very interesting. Jim Morrison, what a creative mind. Those are the people that come to mind at first. Oh, Sylvia Plath because she had such a tortured mind. Interesting people like that. I just think people who had really 
deep things going on in their minds and in their lives, those would be the types of people I would like to have on. Because what I do on the podcast is try to always connect back to your story. Like, how did you get to be this person? How did Abraham Lincoln grow up and become this man who changed the course of history? So those are some of my favorites. I hope that you'll riff and honor every single one of them (laughs) in your courses or in a mini-sode or something, because I would love to hear you unpack more of what you know and what you think people might want to hear or know today. Like, what a gift. so funny. And okay, since we're casting into the past, let's cast someone into the future. I know you said you have some amazing guests already on the docket, but what about someone who you don't have on yet, but if you got the call, you would be so over the moon. A couple folks you'd love to have on your show. Oh, geez. Oh my gosh. There are a lot of people. I mean, some women who have been very successful, well, of course, Oprah. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> come be on. the ultimate big fish to get on. Okay, Oprah, if you want to come on my show, I'd love to have you. Sarah Blakely. She would be fantastic to have on. I just love her, everything she's got going on. And some other like founder type women. I tend to follow a lot of those ladies who have made it, like the Jamie Lynn Kern. Okay. I can't think of her yeah. last name. She Kerma. did the makeup. Yes. And then the woman who did the sprinkle cookies. I don't remember her name, but like these right types of, either, yeah, amazing. these yeah. types of founder type people, I think are really interesting. But also, I won't remember the names of these people, but I've read stories that have been really interesting, like life stories. Like, for example, this is going to be a little weird, but I read a story about a woman who grew up, she was adopted. And when she got older, and she found her birth parents, and she found out that they were siblings. And it was so hard for her to find that information out. And she did never marry and didn't have children of her own. But she found this information. I mean, imagine that. Someone like that I would love to have on. Someone with a really crazy story. I Actually, another group of people that I've been interested in maybe someday pursuing would be someone on death row, like mm. a criminal. Someone mm. like that. So people with really interesting stories. Yeah. I heard on the radio recently, I think Alabama, they're doing like a different kind of, I don't know if it's like a injection or something for the death penalty. I don't know if you've heard about this. I just saw on the news this morning that someone, it didn't work. It took That's what, yeah, I haven't heard that part yet, but that the lawyers were saying that they felt like it was cruel and unusual punishment with someone experimental. And I remember just thinking, you know, we had a really horrible thing happen in our small town here with someone who's now facing the death penalty, where there are just horrific things, horrific stories. People on this planet do really horrific things at times and can be very hard. Speaking of the box, the institution to think about and manage how we handle that. And I think the other thing that's interesting about that is the infodemic, Mm -hmm. because now we are completely out of the box. We can go so far and wide and think about so many different ways of thinking about things and doing things. Like the world really is our oyster. But at the end of the day, coming back to that still small connection between two people, which I am very into attachment theory. So if you know a little about psychology, you know what I'm talking about. But that attachment to your mother... Let's go back into your past a little bit, because I love how you do this on your show where you're like, okay, great. Now I want to know where you grew up. (laughs) Really go into it. It's almost a little bit like a therapy session, you know, where you're going, okay, who made up this person? What are some of the big blocks in an open entry level conversation? 
And you have a very interesting upbringing story. So Mm. how do you want to bring people into that initial attachment, maybe with your mother and how you saw the world in your beginning? We're going to take a short break. And I'm recording this from a beautiful garden, which reminds me so much of my grandma's garden. And places where we go so much resonance for us it's the smell it's the touch it's the look it's the ambiance and i invite you on a journey to some of my favorite places in my first book the adventure paradox available on amazon it's a bestseller in six categories and has been getting amazing reviews but more than that this book is meant in no small way to change your life And the feedback from my clients and first readers is that it has and will. So you don't want to miss this one. Go check it out. It's interesting. I love to help people when I take them through their stories to make connections. And this happens all the time where someone will tell me something about their childhood and then later they'll tell me something that they're doing now. And I'll say, oh, did you ever think about how that connects to back when you were a child and this happened? And they're like, no, <laughs> I never thought of that before. And then it makes them think and understand how patterns play out in their lives. So yeah, my mother was English and she came here from England directly. My dad and she met on a blind date in England while he was in the army. And my mom had a very, very tragic life. She was born in 1945 in England and, and England at that time was pretty much decimated from World War II. They were rebuilding. Well, they probably hadn't even started rebuilding when she was born. It was a very poor town where she was born. It was a coal mining town. Her father had been a coal miner. And actually, he just recently found out he had had a breakdown because he wasn't able to work in the mines any longer. Most people don't understand what it was like to work in those coal mines in England. I have actually been there and gone into the mines and seen them. It's horrific. It was not a job. For the faint of heart. So anyway, she grew up under very difficult circumstances and she was orphaned at the age of 12. And so my mom grew up super poor and my dad was kind of like a salvation for her when she met him. And then he put her on the Queen Mary and she came over here and with one trunk of all of her belongings in one small trunk, which we still have. And she started a whole new life and she was only 21 when she had me. So she was like a baby and we had a very close relationship growing up. She was a fantastic mother. And despite having not had a mother herself and when her mother was alive, it was not a good situation. Her mother did the best that she could, but there was a lot of tragedy in their family and it just was not a good situation. They never had anything. My mom, her toes were all kind of crunched up and we used to tease her about the shape of her toes. And I never realized as a little girl, the reason her toes were all crunched up is because she wore shoes that were too small for her for years. Mm-hmm. They were actually deformed. Mm-hmm. Like the women who bind their feet in the Asian culture. So it was kind of like that. That actually happens if you wear shoes that are too small for you for years, your toes become deformed. So mm-hmm. in any case, she didn't really get into any of this as I was growing up. I didn't know this about her. Until later, when she was in her 50s, she was depressed for a time. And then shortly thereafter, we found out she had lung cancer. Mm. And very, very quickly, she passed away. 
So this was a big turning point in my life because I was close to her, but I was also always very independent. And I had three little kids all under five when she died. And so it really affected me deeply, although I didn't know it then and I know it now. So it was a really interesting thing because I had no idea the impact that grief was having on me at the time. I was very stoic. I don't even think I cried at all because I just had to carry on. I had all this Mm. going on Mm. with my life, my kids, my volunteer work. I was working as a professor part-time. So I was like doing a lot of things. And I just sort of went on with my life. So eventually, after she died, within about five years, my entire life changed. And I ended up getting in a divorce, being a single mom, and kind of having a whole different life. And so that was all because I wasn't dealing with grief very well. I wasn't acknowledging it at all. And it had a lot of different consequences in my life because I didn't deal with it. But my relationship with my mother continues and I still am working through all of that. And I didn't know all these things about her childhood until after she died. I began going on a quest and actually went to England for the first time. My mom had never been back to England since she came that day on that big boat and she never went back because it was too much. It was too hard for her. It was too terrible there. And so I went back, I met some relatives, got in touch with some people who hurt some cousins of hers. And I still have relationships with people that I've met and other distant cousins that I now keep in touch with from England. And I've been back Mm -hmm. several times and I've learned more about my grandfather, her dad and his issues. He had some very severe problems. Mm. So anyway, it's just interesting how that happens. We have this relationship with our parents that we see as our reality and we don't really realize the humanity of them. And my daughter sent me this meme recently. It said something like, remember that your mom is doing this for the first time too, Mm, this thing called life. Mm. And that's kind of how I feel about my mom. Like I am finding out so much more about her now that she's gone and she's been gone for a long time since 2001 now, but she died very young, only 56 years old. Now I'm 58, but this corresponds with what I was telling you before about the vertigo thing. That happened when I was in the throes of being very worried about being 56 because that's when my mom died. So that was a really, really hard year for me, being 56. Like the whole year was so hard because I thought, this is when my mom died. If I can Mm. make it past this time, I'm golden. (laughs) Like if I can make it out of 56, I'm great. (laughs) And then I end up getting sick. And that's what happens. Like you can actually kind of make yourself sick. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's part of why I ended up with that thing. So I don't know if that answers the question, but that's kind of a little bit of my story. And I think being a motherless daughter now is a big part of how I move in the world. And it's mm-hmm. a lot of what I have to continue to deal with. I'm always dealing with that. Mm. Everybody wants their mom. I mean, oh. maybe, not every, maybe not everybody, but... Don't they say the only person who loves you unconditionally? More than you love yourself. That's what I say. And and that's what happened is I didn't even realize that I didn't love myself enough. And when I lost her, I didn't realize that's why I was, I didn't know I was struggling. Now I know I was struggling, but I didn't realize the reason I was struggling because of the grief of losing the person who loved me more than I loved myself. And I didn't love myself enough. And it took me, oh my gosh, from that point, It probably took me 20 years. I'm only just really 
realizing this in my 50s. And then yeah. she died when I was in my 30s. And then I ended up my getting my divorce in, the, in my 40s. So it was like the grief and the consequences and the downwardness was happening throughout that time. And then it wasn't until like mid 40s, late 40s when I started to realize why all those things had mm. taken place in my life, you know? But, Fascinating. And I definitely <laughs> it's want a to journey. touch on, it is a journey. And one of our podcast sisters has a show, I think called Grief Trails, oh. something like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think so few people, when grief happens, have any idea, speaking of things that we didn't learn in school, that are left for our parents to model or not model for us, right? Right. I mean, this this has been coming up. I sent an email out earlier this month to my group about thanking your teachers. And this has come up many times. Here I am, again, speaking to a teacherpreneur, but that our parents were our first teachers mm-hmm. and they taught us a lot. And mm-hmm. often especially those who have parents who have crossed over. And I'm so sorry for the loss of your mom Mm -hmm. too. And I love how you talk about her and seeing that she was doing it for the first time. Yeah. And I wanted to add, it's the first time and, and only time, you know, again, (laughs) that's your spiritual beliefs, but like, right. Right. You only get the one fifty six. you only get one 2024. We only get one Friday, January 26th. 2024 at 9 22 a.m. here mountain time. You know? yep, yep. We only get the one. And I just want to talk about grief. And you said you didn't even know you were grieving until you had this perspective. And then you realized you were struggling and that you're still dealing with it. Will you share with us maybe the moment or the dawning, the awakening where you realized, oh, what was going on with me was grief at that time? I mean, three children under five statistically women with stay at home and it sounds like you were a little bit stay at home a little bit still working children under the age of five are the most depressed and then you lose your mom how did you realize and come to the perspective or knowledge of wow i was really grieving then and now i'm grieving and what's your grief look like now Mm. i would say it was probably in my late 40s when i started to realize that I had not grieved well or properly, I guess, in air quotes, because everyone's unique in their grieving process, I guess. But I hadn't grieved at all, really. I had a lot of sadness. And I guess that the thing that helped me to realize that was being in touch with relatives from England and learning things about her life that I didn't know. And that took time. That took a lot of time to learn those things. So as I began to learn more and and went on Ancestry.com and got to meet people and and actually met people in life, like I would find people and then I would go and meet them (laughs) in England. And that was extremely therapeutic. And it wasn't until I began that part of the journey that I began to heal from losing my mom and simultaneously realize that I had not grieved her. So then I had to go through the grieving process again, which is what I'm still doing. I mean, I'm still doing it Yeah, because it's a loss. You feel that it's a hole that's always there. It won't go away. It was her birthday yesterday. Yeah. So I think about her. She would have been 79 years old. And I think about what would she have looked like at 79? Mm. And these are the things I think are healthy to do. Mm -hmm. What would that person look like now that has passed? What would we be doing? 
And I don't think it's morbid. For me, I know she would have loved to do, she would have loved to go to yoga classes with me. She would love to do little art projects with me. We would love to say, well, what are you knitting this week? What are you working on? I'm working on this. What are you reading? I'm reading this. Mm -hmm. That just that simple stuff. So the best way for me to move through that grieving process is to try to do those things with my own kids and with other people to connect to other people. Because it's not like something I want to live in, that feeling of grief, but I have to acknowledge it. Because Mm -hmm. if you don't look at the wound underneath, you won't be able to know how to treat it. If someone comes to you with a cut, you have to look at the cut to see how bad it is. So I know, do I need a Band-Aid? Do I need an ACE bandage? Do I need to go to the hospital for stitches? So you'd have to be able to look at those wounds in yourself. And I didn't look at the wound that I had when my mom originally died. I didn't even know there was a wound because mm. I just had to go on. I was in shock, obviously, because it happens very quickly. Mm. And gosh, at the time, I must have just had a real reaction of shock and emotional blocking and Mm. nobody saw it. I didn't see it myself and nobody around me saw it. So Mm. nobody offered help to me and my family was going through the same thing I was going through. So they all felt the same way. None of us knew what to do. So it's interesting. I mean, if you see someone in your life who's going through something like this and you can see that they're not showing emotion over it, maybe reach out to them, ask them, if they want to talk about it and, and maybe the emotion won't be able to come. So I had to go through that long of a grieving period for whatever reason. That was my path to teach me this now, because like I said before, like it's all about learning. And I think that's why we're here is to learn lessons, to learn various things. So whatever reason I needed to learn that and I'm learning it now. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So many things I'm thinking about right now, but last night I was watching a few Ted talks on grief as a matter of fact. Oh. And one of the things, this gal started a club, I think it's called the Hot Widows Club. (laughs) She said there are some common themes around how people rally when someone loses someone around you and then how they disappear and -hmm. some of the things that they say. And she said the most common and hurtful one is move on. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I remember when I was going through a really deep grief, this visual someone sent me of a jar and your grief is say this big, right? When the person first dies. And it's not that the grief gets smaller. It's that it fills the whole jar when they first mm-hmm. die. It fills the whole jar, whether or not you realize it, you still have all the other things going on. But then as time goes on, the jar gets bigger, but the grief never gets smaller, right? The grief is always that wound. And I do a lot of work with people with animals and losing animals Mm, and, you know, that experience. Because sometimes people have a lot of guilt around feeling like they miss their animal more than than a human that they've lost. And why is that? And how it comes to this connection and the day-to-day of really like being together, Mm. where often we're not in the same house with people anymore. We don't see them dead necessarily anymore. There are just many, many things about the way that our culture approaches death, approaches grief, doesn't really make space for it. Like you can have time off, a couple days off and go to the funeral and take, get affairs in order, but we don't really make space for it. So what would you suggest for someone who's maybe recently gone through a loss or through listening to this conversation is recognizing 
I bet I never grieved that. I bet there's something there. Or, because I've seen this a lot, people have a lot of fear about losing, say, their parents and knowing. And I've had the blessing of having all of my grandparents make it into their 90s and two of them are still with us. But you know what? As the gal said in the TED Talk last night, listen, everybody, I've done the research and every single one of you is going to die. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because I was there when my mom Mm. passed and I watched it happen. And so I am not afraid of death. And I know what happens. I know what it looks like when someone dies in that way, when it's that type of a sort of natural, wasn't really natural, but yes, natural death. And interestingly, a couple years ago, I lost my dog and I watched him die and I knew what was going to happen because there are things that happen to the body and we don't need to talk about them here, but I knew what was going to happen. I was prepared for it and I could just sit there with him and I sat with him with my hand on him and I knew it was time. And both my mom and I've talked about this before and my dog, I sent them both the message like, it's okay. It's okay to let go. It's okay. Mm. You can go. You, have, mm. you can go. And both of them went after that because they people will hang on. Pets will hang on. They'll try to hang on. But death is a part of our cycle. It's not something we can avoid. And learning about it helped me. I actually did a little bit of study in Buddhism and went to a lot of talks with the Tibetan society, which is near where I live. And I would go there and listen to these talks. And there were some very high level monks that would come in and Rinpoche's would come in and they would talk about death mm. as a part of the process because it's a cycle and the Buddhists believe that it's the cycle of samsara and it's a cycle of suffering and you keep going around and around and until you, he- you reach enlightenment, which is thousands and thousands of <laughs> times around the circle <laughs> if you ever get there. But talking about it is one thing that helps, mm. just talking about it and also not being afraid of it. Not that you should expose yourself, I guess, intentionally if that's too hard for you. But when a pet dies, just don't be afraid of it. Like be there for it and understand it. I can remember as a little girl, my first experience with death, I remember we had a little bird and we had this bird in the cage and it was in the 70s. So I can picture this bird cage. If you're going to picture a 70s bird cage and it was like tall and kind of on a little stand, it was white. And inside the bird cage, there were these little perches. And I remember the bird seed little things mm-hmm. that would hang and the bird would eat them. And the bird was green and he had yellow. It was a parakeet. And his mm-hmm. name was Charlie. And my dad used to let him come out and fly around the living room. And sometimes he would land on our heads. And one day I went over to the cage and Charlie was hopping around on one foot on the bottom of the cage instead of flying and or per- sitting on his perch. He was like hopping around on his one foot. And I said to my parents, Charlie's hopping around on his foot. I'm not sure what he's doing. Is there something wrong with him? And they came over and I remember that that was the last time I saw Charlie. My dad took Charlie out of there faster than you could say hello. Mm. He did not want me to experience that Charlie was going to die. And if I remember, he did kind of fall over. And that's Mm. when my dad just like, and then we never really talked about it that I can recall. Like he just was gone. (laughs) The cage was gone. The bird was gone. And we just moved on with our lives. So that was my first experience with death. Then we lost dogs and our family and things. So I did deal with that, but I never actually saw the dead thing, the dead pet. And I was protected from that. 
mm-hmm. which is a natural instinct, of course, for your parents to want to protect your kids from that. But I don't know. Should we? I, I don't know. I mean, that's an interesting question. It's making me wonder, and we are at the end of our hour, so I don't know if you have another yeah. call, but we'll we'll wrap it up here. But a hundred years ago, so 1922 was the year we had more cars than horses on the streets. Oh. That wasn't that long ago. So what that means is people were used to seeing animals working, connecting with them, connecting with something living to get anywhere, right? And yeah. now it's we can go 90, 100 miles per hour. Horses can't do that. Like the technological age, you know, but it's just making me think that the kinds of things we've been able to cover up, dispose of, don't get dirty, don't touch that. And and then the diseases that come from no longer putting our hands in the dirt, making our own food or being connected to it. So, so interesting. So many more things we could unpack, but I'd love to hear just sort of in closing Did you feel closure being able to see it, would you say? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And again, children 100 years ago growing up on the farm, they They would have seen a lot more death around them. Right. And known the work to dispose of a body and quickly bury it and and so on. And um, They don't fear it as much because they know it's a part of life. I mean, it's not something pleasant and we don't want to think about it, but it is... It's a fact. It's an inevitability. (laughs) It's a fact of life, right? Well, and speaking of the blessings, again, things we don't talk about at school, like very, very interesting. You, my dear, are so amazing. I love connecting with you and we could talk for another hour. Yeah, that was so great, Kat. Wow, we really went deep. I didn't even, I didn't know that was going to happen. You had no idea. You have not been listening to the show. I know. We go deep. People, I know, right? (laughs) If people want to connect with you, and we'll put all this in the show notes too, but just in case they're listening, will you please share with us your website, any offers you have coming around, courses? How can people find you? Sure. Yes. I'm at MitziCampbell.com, primarily on Instagram at Mitzi Ann Campbell, uh, Mitzi Campbell on Facebook. And I have lots of work that I do with people one-on-one, but right now I really have something great going on. And if you're interested at all in personal development and personal development books in particular, I have a book club that's been fantastic. And we're finishing our first book this month in February. And at the end of February, we'll be starting our second book, which is going to be Think and Grow Rich. So if you ever wanted to go through a book that's iconic with a college professor who knows how to show you what you're supposed to be getting out of the book, this is your chance. And I think in that book in particular, over 80 million people have bought it over the years and maybe even more now, the last statistics I looked up. But how many of those people are actually rich and what does rich really mean? I don't know, Mm. but you can find out (laughs) if you want to join the book club. That is kind of my baby right now. And I'd love to have you in there if anybody's interested in that. So cool. I was actually talking to someone else who's certified. Is it the Napoleon Hill Institute? or? Oh, yeah. Napoleon Hill Institute. Yeah, yes. this week. NHI, right? And uh, just fascinating how that book has changed so many lives. And again, it has the power, but you have to know how to use it. You have to know what to take from it, what's going to fit in your life and how to actually take action. That's the thing. It's sitting on your shelf, but it's just collecting dust if you don't know how to take action. So beautiful. Ah, all right. My action taker, teacherpreneur. Thank you you so much, Kat. Wow. I appreciate you. you very much and everything that you put out into the world. You're just a beautiful soul. And gosh, 
And you have my favorite flower sitting there, a ranunculus, sitting right next to you. Yeah, it was also my birthday this week. So these are my... Oh, happy birthday! Yeah, my birthday flowers. Yeah, oh, the, I love it. The 24th, my 2024 year, so... All right. All right. Everyone have a beautiful, beautiful day. Thank you for Thank joining you. us on the show. May you find many blessings in your life today and always. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye. Okay, the time has come for us to end this podcast episode. Thank you so much for listening. You listened all the way to the end. I appreciate you. And if you loved this podcast, please share it with a friend. Drop me a review. We all love five stars. But any stars, any feedback is welcome as a guest in the guest house of Rumi's poem, which you can find in my virtual workshop on catcaldwellmyers.com. Would love to see you there if you want to continue the party and have an adventure of a day.